Good morning, LFC family, and welcome to all of those that are worshiping with us around the world today. It is awesome to have you with us. We are excited to give God worship and glory and praise. We're in an amazing time, a very interesting time, spiritually and historically. Historically, this time of uh, quarantine around the world with the COVID-19, but spiritually, we're in that time between Resurrection Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. That 50 days of time when Jesus was taking some special time to give training to his disciples who would become his apostles and then the birth of the church. And this is a time when in our quarantine, our our. Uh, our being isolated, this is a time when Jesus has pulled his church in and he is preparing us for a relaunching. And LFC family, I want you to know this is a critical time for us because it is a time when we are preparing ourselves spiritually for a relaunching. And I find it more than curious that the relaunching is going to be right around that Pentecost Sunday. It may be a Sunday before or a Sunday two after, but it's right around that Pentecost Sunday. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God has a plan and God is at work. And so these Sundays between now and Pentecost Sunday, we're studying John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. That instruction that Jesus gave his disciples to prepare them for that amazing time when he was going to launch his church on Pentecost Sunday. And we're going back and we're digging that time. Boy, I pray, and those that are around the world watching us, I pray that these weeks in preparation for that, that it is a time of great spiritual breakthrough and moving forward in your life. And maybe you're watching us and you've never really walked with Jesus. You've never been a disciple of Jesus. This is all brand new to you. I want you to know that over the next weeks, as we're studying together and worshiping together, this can be an amazing breakthrough time for you when God does an amazing work in your life. And then... When we gather back together, what an amazing time as we turn the world upside down just the way they did in the book of Acts. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can worship together this Sunday morning. And Father, the message that you have given to me today, being Jesus personified. Father, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit will empower me to preach your word and everyone around the world that's hearing this message, that almighty God, you will take this message deep to their heart and it will be life transforming to them in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, God. I give you praise in Jesus' name. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it records the apostle Peter and the Apostle John on their way to the hour of prayer at the Temple Mount. 
And it says in uh, the New King James, the King James Version, the New American Standard Version, it says that it was about the ninth hour. The NIV records it in our vernacular today as three in the afternoon. In biblical time, they began counting the days, the, the hours of the day at 6 a.m. in the morning. So 6 o'clock in the morning was the first hour, 7 o'clock was the second hour, 8 o'clock was the third hour, noon would be the sixth hour, the ninth hour of the day would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they're making their way to the hour of prayer at the Temple Mount. They're entering from the east side of Jerusalem, Perchance they'd been up on the Mount of Olives. We're not told. All we know is that they're coming in from the Kidron Valley to enter through the Eastern Gate. A little bit of history about the Eastern Gate. The Eastern Gate was that entrance that was directly onto the Temple Mount. In 810 A.D., when the Muslims conquered the city of Jerusalem, they closed that gate and then... <clears throat> Excuse me, in 1102 AD, the Crusaders reopened the Eastern Gate only for 85 years later when uh, Saladin conquered the city of Jerusalem. He again walled up that Eastern Gate. And the reason they wanted it walled up, the Muslims were going to stop Jesus from being able to enter Jerusalem as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, of course, they do not believe that he is the risen Christ. <clears throat> now, when uh, in 1541, when the Ottoman Sultan uh, Salaman, the Magnificent, when he became leader over the Ottoman Empire, he rebuilt the walls of the ancient city of Jerusalem. And as he rebuilt that eastern wall, he rebuilt the eastern gate. But when he did, he closed it with brick and mortar as you see it today. And it has been that way since 1541 A.D., walled up. But what we know is that at this time when Peter and John are coming to the temple for prayer, the gate is open. And the promise that we have in Scripture is that Jesus Christ, when he comes back to earth in bodily form and lands on the Mount of Olives, he's going to enter Jerusalem through that eastern gate. Hallelujah. You can't keep him from coming just because the Muslims bricked and mortared the gates shut. This day, Peter and John are on their way to the Temple Mount. And as they arrive at the eastern gate and they're entering through the eastern gate, a beggar cries out to them for money. Peter and John stop and they look at the beggar. And Peter says, look at me. And as the beggar looks up at him, Peter says to him, I don't have money to give you, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And immediately, immediately, the bones in his ankles and his feet were healed, and the man stood up and began walking. Now, this beggar 
was a man 40 years old, and Scripture tells us he has been unable to walk from the time of his birth. For the first time in his life, a 40-year-old man is walking. And it says he went with them into the temple area, walking and leaping and praising God, and the whole temple area was filled with amazement and excitement as they knew, they knew this man. He had been there year after year, decades. He had been at that, at the gate beautiful, begging. And here he is now, walking and leaping and praising God, giving God glory and praise for a miracle. And the crowd is excited. And the religious leaders are angry. They are angry that in the name of Jesus Christ, this beggar has been healed. And so the religious leaders have the guards come. They arrest Peter and John. They put him in jail overnight. And the next morning, they have a hearing with them. And as they bring Peter and John into that hearing, they ask him, you tell us, by what authority are you doing these miracles? And Peter looks at them and says, are, are you asking us by what name and by what authority this man is before you healed? I tell you, it is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and who has risen from the dead. It is in his name that this miracle has happened because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And the religious leaders are furious. But they can't deny the miracle. And so they have Peter and John go back out of the, of the hearing room. They talk among themselves. We can't deny this miracle. We know it happened. What can we do? We, we can't punish them because the whole crowd out there believes God has done something great well, let's just command them that they better not preach anymore from this day forward. They better not preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus Christ. So they brought them back in, and they gave them that order that from today forward, you are not to preach and teach anymore in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so the apostles, what did they do with this? Did they cower? Did they go, oh, wow, I guess we better, you know, and... And just give up? What did they do? Scripture tells us exactly what they did. They went back to all the believers in the city of Jerusalem. Well, first, I should have told you this. After the miracle happened that day, Peter and John took the occasion to preach a sermon. And that day, 5,000 men on the Temple Mount gave their life to Jesus Christ. And that is a further reason that the religious leaders are really troubled by what's going on. Because now, what do we know? 3,000 besides women and children were born again on the day of Pentecost. Now you've got 5,000 men on the Temple Mount. I mean, this is exploding in the city of Jerusalem, what is taking place. And so what happens? Well, they go back to the church they gather with the church, and Acts chapter 4, 29 to 31, records for us 
exactly what they did. Let's read it together. Acts chapter 4, 29 to 31. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Notice, they're not going to back down. They're going to keep preaching the gospel. They're going to keep preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. But not only that, it says that by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of the holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Do you see what happened here? They didn't back down. Their prayer was, God, help us to be bold and empower us to continue preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And God, stretch out your hand to confirm the word by miracles and signs and wonders and by healing people. And then what did they do? They went out and they boldly continued to carry the gospel to the city. Wow. Wow. Now listen, dear ones, this fits perfectly with what Jesus taught his disciples on the night of his betrayal just before he was going to be crucified. Go with me now to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 14, and look at what Jesus taught them that night. This is amazing. Beginning at verse 9, he said to them, and he's, remember now, he has said to them that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Philip has asked him the question, Lord, Lord, would you show us the Father so we can believe? This is his answer. Jesus said to Philip, have I been so long with you yet? Have you not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works. Most assuredly, I say to you, the old King James says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, why would Jesus repeat the word truly, truly? Because in Hebrew grammar, when a word is repeated like that, they're not stuttering. In the Hebrew grammar, when a word is repeated, it's giving it exponential power, such as in Isaiah chapter 6, when the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty. They're saying God is holy to the third power. When Jesus, in the, in, it's, and it's recorded this way in the Greek and then in the, in the old King James, when he says, truly, truly, he is saying, I'm telling you the truth to the second power. It is the truth. It's absolutely the truth. Here in the New King James, it's recorded, most assuredly, I say to you, this is the absolute truth. Most assuredly, I say to you, he that believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Now, 
there are three questions that we have to ask ourselves out of this Jesus' teaching. Now, I want to remind you, he's preparing his disciples to become the apostles that are going to lead the church that is about to be born in 50 days. And so he's, he's teaching them. He's preparing them. And he's wanting them to understand this is what the church should be doing. So we got to ask three questions. What were the works that Jesus did? What does he mean? Do the works that I do. And what does he mean? And even greater works than these. We're going to look at these three questions as we wrap up today's message. This is so important to you. So what were the works of Jesus? Well, the Gospel of Matthew gives us just a window into what some of those works were. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus has come from his 40 days of fasting and prayer into the Galilee region. And as he comes into the Galilee region, it says that he was preaching and teaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wow. But it goes on from there, and it says that not only was he preaching, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but it says that there were people being brought to him that were sick and diseased, and he was healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. But it goes further than that. It also says that in, uh, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, Jesus was in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the northern Galilee area around Capernaum. He was there all day long ministering and teaching. And they were bringing to him people that were demon-possessed. They were bringing to him people that had all kinds of sickness and disease. And he was healing them. He was casting out the spirits with a word, it says. And he was healing all who were diseased and all who were sick. He was healing all of them. Wow. Wow, what an incredible ministry. Mark chapter 5 records us on, on the same occasion. Jesus is there in the northern Galilee region. And word has come to Jesus that one of the religious leaders named Jairus, his daughter is so ill that she is at death's door. And Jairus comes to Jesus and begs him to come to his home to heal his daughter. And Jesus says, I'll come. There's a huge crowd around Jesus. And as he's making his way to the home of Jairus, a woman who has had a hemorrhage for years and years, and she has gone to all the doctors, and none of the doctors can help her. She has given up. They've given her up as hopeless. She's basically going to bleed to death. But she hears about Jesus. And she knows she's not worthy to really speak to him or meet him. But she believes, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Now, you need to understand what that means. <clears throat> they wore, at the hem of their garment, they wore symbols of authority. And if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can partake of his authority because he has the authority to heal. 
And so she makes her way into the crowd. Now, legally, by the spiritual laws of Israel, she was not even to be in the crowd. So she was there illegally. And a woman was not to touch a man in public. It was another Jewish law. And this woman violates all the laws, comes into the crowd, gets near Jesus, and touches the hem of his garment. And she is instantly healed. And Jesus feels the power of healing leave. He feels that anointing go out of him. And he stops and he says, who touched me? The apostles go, who touched you, Jesus? Look at this crowd. What do you mean who touched you? Jesus said, no, no, no. Someone touched me with faith and I felt the anointing go. Now that's, that's my, my words. That's not how it is listed in scripture. It's not a quote. But Jesus turned and looking at the woman realized it was her. And he just assured her, your faith has made you well. Well, all this time, then word comes from one of Jairus' servants, don't bother the master any further. In other words, the daughter has stepped through death's door. Jesus says, only believe. And he goes to Jairus' house. He takes Peter and James and John with him, his inner circle, takes them with him into the house, and he raises the daughter from the dead. But I want you to understand it's not just miracles and signs and wonders that Jesus did. We have recorded in Luke 19.10 that uh, Jesus, going through the city of Jericho, a, a tax gatherer who was a very crooked dishonest, greedy man. Here's the Jesus is coming through town and he climbs up a tree because he's a very short man. He climbs up a tree so he can see over the heads of the crowd and he can see Jesus. Jesus stops and looks up at him and says, can I come to your house for dinner? Zacchaeus says, yeah. I mean, he is shocked that a Jewish rabbi would want to come to his house for dinner because he's considered an outcast of society because, number one, he's a cooperative with the Romans. Number two, he's a tax gatherer. Number three, he's dishonest. He's a thief. He's greedy. He He has overtaxed people. He has charged them more than he should to line his own pockets. Jesus goes to his house, and as Jesus is at his home, he leads him to salvation And the man declares his salvation and his life transformation. Jesus is going north. In John chapter 4, it says he must needs go through Samaria. Not because that was the only way to, to get to Galilee. There was an easier way travel wise. But he had to go through Samaria because there was a divine appointment waiting for him at a well. And he meets a woman at the well, and the woman has been married five times. All of her marriages has failed, and she's living with a man unmarried. 
And she meets Jesus at the well, and Jesus tells her everything about her life. And he leads her to salvation and life transformation. She runs into the town and tells everybody about this man that she has met and the life transformation in her life. And they all come out to hear this man of God. In John chapter 8, it's recorded Jesus is in the Temple Mount teaching. And they bring to him a woman caught in the very act of immorality. And they throw her at his feet. And the scripture says, stoner, what do you say? Jesus starts writing in the dirt on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. But what we do know, whatever he wrote on the ground, it brought conviction to the heart of the men. And he looks up at them and he says, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. All of the accusers leave and the woman is there at his feet. And Jesus says, woman, where's your accuser? She says, there aren't any. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What do we see? Jesus not only did miracles and signs and wonders, but Jesus brought love, mercy, and grace everywhere he went. To the most broken, to the most wounded, to the most sinful, Jesus brought love, mercy, and grace. These are the works of of Jesus. And look look at his words to his disciples and to his church. He says, most assuredly, absolutely, truly, I tell you, everyone who believes in me. Now notice who he's talking to. Everyone who believes in me. He that believeth in me. Everyone who believes in me. It's not just, it's not just to the great preachers of the world. It's not just to the great men of faith of the world. It's not to the televangelists. It's not to the, to, the, uh, to the great and the acclaimed. It is to everyone who believes. It is to the one who is a young person going to high school or middle school. It is to the child that's in elementary school but believes in Jesus. It is to the senior that maybe is in their 80s. It is to that, to that iron worker on the job. It is to that, that computer worker in the office. It is to everyone, the housewife at home. It is to everyone who believes in Jesus. Everyone who believes in Jesus. The works that I do, you will do also. The works that I do, you will also. Everyone who believes in Jesus. Look how he says it in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus now is ascending. He's just about to ascend back to heaven. Forty days has gone by since his resurrection from the dead. These are his last instructions to his disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned, shall be judged. But everyone that believes in me, in my name, in my name. But I want you to notice again, look what it says. These signs will follow them that believe. Everyone that believes in me. 
These signs will follow them that believe. We're back again. It's not just the great evangelist. It's not just the one that, that, that comes in and says, I'm going, to do, I'm going to do meetings of signs and wonders and miracles. Now, it's everyone that believes in Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how young, no matter how old. If you believe in Jesus... In my name, you'll cast out devils, you'll speak with new tongues, you'll take up serpents. If you drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt you. You will lay hands on the sick and you will recover. This is to be the work of the church. This is what the apostles prayed after they had performed that miracle on that man that had never walked in his lifetime. And they're being told, don't you dare preach and teach and do miracles in the name of Jesus anymore. They go back and they pray, God, help us to be bold. Reach out your hand to heal and to do miracles and signs and wonders. And then they went out and they continued their ministry and they turned the city of Jerusalem upside down. Why? Why? Because, dear ones, Jesus is still doing that same work today. Do you need healing? Do you need healing in your body? Are you struggling with cancer? Do you have an incurable disease? Are you struggling with an addiction in your life? Are you one of those that uh, you're kind of like Zacchaeus? You have lived your entire life for gold and silver and stuff. And it doesn't matter how many motorcycles you buy, how many boats you buy. It doesn't matter how many really cool, awesome cars you have. It doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank. You, are, you still have this hole in your heart because stuff never gives true fulfillment. Like Zacchaeus, Jesus is saying to you, this day salvation can come to this house. But maybe, maybe you're, like, you're like the woman at the well. One man said it this way, so many gorgeous women and so little time. But I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how many women you have. You're still empty inside. Maybe you are like that woman and, and you just can't live without a man and you've gone from man to man to man but the more you've gone from man to man to man the more you've been broken the more you've been wounded and you just can't go from man to man. Jesus is saying to you I have life transformation for you and I that which has left you still thirsty. It doesn't matter how much of the world you drink. It doesn't matter how much of the world you have. You are still thirsty. You are still empty. You're still longing for something that brings meaning and hope to your life. And I'm saying to you, Jesus Christ says to you today, go and sin no more. Jesus says to you today, I will give you living water and you will never thirst again. Jesus says to you, he brings that to you. That's, that's the hope 
that Jesus brings to you. Life. Life. He has eternal life for you. And that's to be the work of the church. We are to bring to the world the same works that Jesus did. He gives us that power and that authority to bring to the world the same works that Jesus did. We are to bring healing. We are to bring recovery. We are to bring to them life transformation. And we're to bring to them the miracles and signs and wonders of Jesus. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Now, what does he mean when he says, and greater works than these shall he do? Well, as I was praying on this and thinking about this through the years, I thought, how, how does it get any greater than him stopping by the tomb of a man that's been dead four days and bringing him out of the tomb and bringing him back to life? How does it get any greater than that? Or how about him stopping a funeral procession? I mean, they're on the way from the funeral service to the graveyard, and he stops the procession, and he raises the young man from the dead and gives him back to his mom. Does it get, does it get any greater than that? Does it get any greater than a group of lepers immediately being cleansed from the leprosy and saying, go, go and, and, and make the proper sacrifices and show yourself to the priests? Does it get any greater than him stopping by and saying to blind Bartimaeus, who's been blind all of his life, you got your sight? I mean, how does it get any greater than that? Does it get any greater? Does it get any greater than a man like Matthew, who's been a tax gatherer, who's been hated, who's lived an immoral life, and Jesus goes to his home for dinner? And he brings in all of his friends and all of his guests. And the house is filled with prostitutes and, and all, of these, all of these sinners. And Jesus is there teaching them. And Matthew becomes one of the apostles. And he writes the first book of the New Testament. Does, I mean, does, it, does the miracle get any greater? How, do, how does he mean, and greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father? It's greater in scope. It's greater in scope. Jesus' ministry was within the region of what we would know today as the nation of Israel, a little bit up into, into Lebanon because he went to Tyre and Sidon. But Jesus' ministry was within that small framework. But he was saying to his disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going you're gonna, to... You're going to take my gospel into Jerusalem and all of Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. For you and I, LFC family, he's saying to you and I, you're going to take the gospel into Hermiston and into Stanfield and into Echo and into Hat Rock and into McNary and into Umatilla and into Irrigan and into Boardman and into Hepner and, and Lexington and Arlington and you're going to take the gospel maybe into the region all the way from the Idaho border all the way to, to, to the Dalles. Or maybe he's saying to us, we're going to take it all the way from I-90 to the north all the way down to John Day. Or maybe he's saying to us, you're going to take it throughout the entire Pacific Northwest, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, and then to the world. Right now we know that from our church we're reaching into Croatia to, to 
communities into Croatia. We're reaching into two communities, into Bosnia, Herzegovina. We know that we're taking the gospel to, to, uh, into Israel. I mean, where is God? How much further does God have us taking the gospel? How many more people can we reach with the gospel? Miracles and signs and wonders. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we began seeing every case of cancer leave their body and so that no one that came to us with cancer would would have it any further? I mean, miracles and signs and wonders. Dear ones, God wants our faith to rise that we can see it in a greater scope than we've ever dreamed. Greater than these. What what even makes this possible? How how can we do this? Well, because Jesus said that we have solidarity with him. We're one with him. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. And then he goes on to say, believe me that I am in you and you are in me. Solidarity with Jesus. We're going to come back to that in greater detail next Sunday. But then he also said, Because I go to the Father. Well, what's going to happen when he goes to the Father? I'm going to pray the Father. He's going to send you another comforter, even the spirit of truth, that he may abide with you forever. We're going to talk about that also, that in Jesus Christ, we're going to to learn how that he gives to us the power, the supernatural power of the anointing of Jesus Christ. And then... We're going to learn over the next weeks of how much greater we can see the work of Jesus Christ. God has given you this calling. Dear one, you must believe that God has given you this calling. There is no greater work than Jesus calling you that you can make a difference in someone's life every day you live. Jesus is saying to you and I that we can make a difference. Who do you know that needs a miracle? Who do you know that needs life transformation? God has put you in their life. You are Jesus' hand extended. You are Jesus' hand extended to them to make a difference in their life. Maybe you are listening to me today and you need a miracle. You need a healing. I want to pray for you in just a moment. Are you that one that's like Zacchaeus or like the woman at the well? And you're listening and you're ready for Jesus Christ to make life transformation in you. I want to pray for you right now. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I am praying right now that faith will rise in the heart of that individual right now to believe you for a miracle. In the authority of Jesus' name, cancer, every cell of cancer, to wither and die by the roots and leave their body now in the authority of Jesus' name. Father, I am praying now that 
rheumatoid arthritis, that that would leave their body. It would leave their body. Their bones would be cleansed and purified of the rheumatoid arthritis. And Father God, that pain would leave in the authority of Jesus' name. Migraines leave in the authority of Jesus' name. Go to the very root and be healed now in Jesus' name. Father, I am praying in the authority of Jesus' name. Every sickness, every disease that is listening to me right now in the authority of Jesus' name to be healed. And I give you praise, Father. I give you praise. Father, in the authority of Jesus' name, I pray now that there will be a miracle, a miracle, a miracle. Father, an ear to open right now in the authority of Jesus' name. Thank you, God. You're giving a miracle, and I give you praise. Father, healing to an eye right now in Jesus' name, in the authority of Jesus' name, that eye healed, and I give you praise. I give you praise. I give you praise. Dear ones, I'm going to ask you right now, if you have received a healing in your body, would you write in the comment section, healed, and then... Is it, is it cancer? What is it? Just write healed, and then what was healed? Would you put that in the comment section right now? Now, if you've been listening and you need life transformation, you need to receive Jesus into your heart and life right now. And I'm praying for you. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you died on the cross for me. And Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive my sin. I'm asking you to come into my heart and life. Jesus, give me a new heart. Wash me pure and clean. Take away all of the guilt and all of the shame. Jesus, give me your love, mercy, and grace. I receive it now, Jesus, and I receive you into my life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me in the comments section, would you write, prayed with you? Just write, prayed with you. I want to send you a Bible and send you a discipleship book that will help you begin walking with Jesus. And I'd like to let you know that if you go to my website, fdeanhackett.com, I have discipleship teachings there, the entire discipleship teachings there. If you go to Living Faith Church, Hermiston, Oregon, on YouTube, I have the entire Discipleship 101 series there, and, and you can study. Join us. Join us there. God bless you, dear ones. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Pastor Jesse's coming to share some very important information with you. Would you stay with us and catch this very important information that Pastor Jesse has? God bless you. I look forward to reading your comments in the comments section. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Dean, for the message this morning. Living Faith Church pastors and office staff continue to pray for you. If you have a prayer request right now,
write it in the comments section during this broadcast. Or you could text us uh, to, to Pastor Wanda or Donna, or send us an email at info at winacity.com. The prayer requests are shared with our pastoral staff and intercessor ministry team. Pastor Dean is asking for all our intercessors and all those who would like to join him at 7.30 a.m. for a prayer for our nation and prayer for revival. We are passionately seeking God for a spiritual awakening for our nation, and not only that, but for a living faith church to experience authentic revival. Amen? So would you please join us where you're at at 7.30 a.m.? I also want to mention that all of our studies on the book of Revelation have been uploaded to our YouTube channel. And not only that, but Discipleship 101 and other resources. You can find our YouTube channel at Living Faith Church, Hermiston, Oregon. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to that. That will help you get updates on new videos that are uploaded. And not only that, but that helps us to expand our ministry online and increase the number of viewers and create a powerful community online. One other reminder is to watch for Pastor Dean's Facebook Live videos throughout your week for words of encouragement and hope during this COVID-19 crisis. Also, let your students know to join me on Zoom on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Fusion Online. And also, Pastor Dean is doing Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. going through the book of Revelation. He announces the meeting ID through Facebook and also through text message. Thank you all for taking the opportunity to financially support LFC and contribute to the work of God even as we go through this current crisis. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. When you give generously, you can experience joy, gladness, and fulfillment that comes from a sincere and generous giving. And through that, God will show his special love for you and your family and enable you to do even more. There's three ways that you can send your tithe and mission offering. Number one is through mail at P.O. Box 310, Hermiston, Oregon, 97838. Number two, come by our church office Monday through Thursday at 9 between 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Or number three, visit our website at www.winacity.com. 
go to the upper right-hand corner, click on our menu. There'll be a drop-down menu. Click on the Give button, and that will take you to our giving portal. There, you can also set up an auto-draw. We just want to thank all of our church family and all of our guests for worshiping with us today. We pray that it was an encouraging and meaningful experience for you. And have a blessed rest of your Sunday, and we will see you again soon. Thank you.